Hello, and welcome to the Brew Theology Podcast. I'll be your host today, Janelle Apps Ramsey, and today we're going to talk about prayer. Before we get started, I'd like for you to make sure that you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Brew Theology and at Twitter at Brew underscore Theology. Prayer is one of those things that can be very hard when we're in the midst of a faith transition. It's often difficult to use old methods to connect to God, and we don't really know how to connect with God when our view has changed. So learning new methods can be helpful, and even sometimes revisiting old things can be helpful. So in this lesson, what we do is we talk about different prayer traditions, and we scour some other traditions for things that might help us connect. There are many Christian traditions that have been lost over time, and so renewing these things and making new connections with them can help us find new ways to talk to God. Some of those are centering prayer, meditation, and nature retreats. Those have happened for thousands of years, but we sometimes don't even know about them in certain traditions. And in this lesson, we do some hands-on activities that go on after the discussion that we're going to have today. So if you're doing this with your Brew Theology group, you will also have an opportunity to experience a labyrinth, prayer beads, and praying in color. And we'll talk more about those in our discussion. And just note, that having people do hands-on activities opens up new pathways to spiritual connection. And even if you're not a hands-on person, I would encourage you to give it a try. You might surprise yourself. Before we get into the discussion, I would like to make an editing note. We recorded this podcast originally on the same day as we recorded Islam. And as you know, we had a few technical difficulties during that time. Strangely enough, even though we recorded this uh, about an hour later, the same kind of issue happened midway through. So we wanted to share the content with you, and I just want to let you know that I'll be interrupting it about halfway through to narrate a little piece for you that's really inaudible. So just be prepared for that, and um, please be patient with us as we work through that. Also tonight, I want to introduce some other Brew Theology cats, Caspian and Minka, you might be able to hear them in the background. Thank you very much for joining us, and let's talk about prayer. Hello, and welcome to the Brew Theology Podcast. I'll be your host tonight, Janelle Ramsey, and we're going to be talking about prayer Um, And so we just wanted to give you a little bit of information up front on the topic. Also, we'll take a minute and introduce ourselves and what we're drinking tonight. And uh, we're just going to talk about experiences and what we have done through prayer. Um, So I'm just going to share a little bit of the curriculum with you, just a few pieces. And then from there, we'll jump into the discussion. So in terms of history, as long as religion has existed, prayer has existed. Um, And it is not only integral, but foundational to many people's practices of faith. This is true across many cultures and religions, and it's hard to pinpoint when the practice of prayer first started to develop. From a Christian perspective, prayer is rooted in the Jewish tradition, which we can trace back to around 1500 BCE in association with Egypt. We also have a similar date for the Egyptian Book of the Dead, which contained prayers as well. And if you look at all kinds of tradition, Jewish, Buddhist, Muslim, Hindu, all of these traditions have extensive prayer traditions and foundations in their experience. Um, For many of us, we've experienced prayer in lots of ways. And if you do this piece of curriculum with your brew theology group, 
The second half of it is about practices where we talk about labyrinths, prayer beads, and coloring prayer. And so you can experience those and do those with your group. Prayer can be done individually and in groups. Prayer has many purposes, including adoration or praise, thanksgiving, confession, submission to God, intercession for others, meditation, and self-reflection. Many people pray to find wisdom, to look for answers, and to receive guidance for decisions that need to be made. Prayer can be a daily practice, a random practice, or even a constant posture toward God as one goes through the day. So today, if you, as you join us, we're going to talk about how we've experienced prayer, what it's meant in the past, what it means for us now, and we encourage you to take time out to practice something prayer-like, whatever that means for you when you get done with this podcast. So tonight, I'm joined by a couple of my friends, Dan, Leah, and Liz, and so I'm going to let them introduce themselves, uh, let you know a little bit of their spiritual pedigree and answer our fun question as we're into November, what is your favorite holiday song that you're going to hear way too early this season? So uh, I'm Janelle. I am from an evangelical uh, background, the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, we, I served there in ministry for over 20 years. When we moved to Colorado, we kind of transitioned, and now I would wear the label Progressive Christian. Um, and one of my favorite songs is Rocking Around the Christmas Tree. I just hope it doesn't, I don't hear it tomorrow. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good one. <laughs> so I'm Liz, and uh, I was brought up um, as a Christian, and when I was young, um, my parents used to drop me off at Sunday school, and I would kind of go solo on Christianity, and um, when I was a teenager, I used to walk to church, and I was a devout Christian until I was kind of on my own, but um, really into it until I was about 17. And then I um, slowly but quickly, no, slowly but surely became um, a complete atheist. And I'm still an atheist, but in the past couple of years, I've really developed um, a strong connection to Buddhism. And I've started actually going from being a a Buddhist that was kind of all about mindfulness to a Buddhist that actually started to take on some of those religious traditions, including prayer, and so I'd be interested to talk about that. And um, one of the holdovers, though, from my Christian days is that I love all very Christian, like the most spiritual Christmas songs, the better. Like, Oh Holy Night, you know, brings me to tears every single time, you know, it's funny. It's awesome. Um, Yeah. Nice. My name is Leah. I grew up in a Presbyterian church. I found myself from a young age not uh, fully understanding that, not really engaging a whole lot with it when I was in high school. Uh, I came out to my parents as an atheist. They took it incredibly well. They had a couple of questions, but uh, I think we continue to have dialogue about that till this day. And yeah, that relationship didn't really change me very much after that, which I'm very, very thankful for. Uh, And that's kind of still where I find myself at today in terms of holiday music. My mom thinks I'm kind of a Grinch because I'm not that into holiday okay. music. Uh, but actually what you said really struck a chord with me because I'm not into like really commercial holiday music. It just gets stuck in the head too much. But like Holy Night, things like that uh, that are a little bit more like quiet and peaceful. Oh, I'm, I'm definitely more into that. Yeah. yeah, more into that. So my name is Dan. I grew up as a charismatic evangelical in various denominations and non-denominations. 
I grew up in the South, so that added an extra layer of cultural complexity. Um, and it wasn't until about the end of high school that I really started taking my faith seriously in terms of um, figuring out what I believed and not so much what I had been taught. And in that, I found myself um, looking to the Reformed tradition. Calvin moved away from that, found beauty in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, and I actually found some centering prayer practices through that and moved away from that as well. And I find myself today still consider myself Christian, influenced by process philosophy and some Eastern thought as well. Favorite holiday song that you're going to hear too soon? So I'm also a little bit of a Grinch, a lot of a Grinch. I don't like commercial Christmas music, but anything that's in a minor key or super depressing, um, I'm really about like Oh Holy Night and O Come O Come Emmanuel. Like I could just put uh-huh. those on those two on repeat, like fall on your knees, just that part. <laughs> I could just yeah. put fall on your knees. Like yes, please. <laughs> I give myself up. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like those two, but in general, like if you hate me, go buy me a Michael Bublé album. Like, <laughs> because he's the worst. <laughs> That is not a view of the Brew Theology podcast. <laughs> You're welcome to come and talk with us, Michael Blueplay. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, so uh, I think for a lot of people that are transitioning in faith, it's actually really easy to get grinchy about prayer because prayer often carries with it a ton of baggage that comes from our tradition or our families or even just the local congregation we were a part of. So we're going to start there tonight. And what are our earliest memories of prayer? What traditions were we in? What was going on? How did this shape our understanding of prayer? And do you do any of us still have a childhood prayer we still remember? So really, we're going to focus on childhood for the moment. And we'll progress out of that pretty quick. But how did prayer settle in for you as a kid? For me growing up, I remember my mom was a woman of prayer. Like, really, she'd pray every morning. And I remember every morning that I woke up as a little kid, I'd run off to her room and there she was on her knees next to the bed, like praying. And I'd jump on her back and just ride her like a horsey until she'd go out and make breakfast or something like that. And uh, I grew up around a lot of prayer for sure yeah I'm actually super yeah I'm super curious Leah about yours yeah I don't I don't really remember us having too much of a tradition of prayer you know, like we would go to church every Sunday and my mom was a physical therapist and she would usually work on Sundays and so my dad it was his responsibility always to take us uh to church which I was delighted to go to because they served donuts and uh, I'm a big donut fan so that was definitely <laughs> enough to please me to go um but in terms of uh, like my husband's family before we all eat a meal together, you know, they still very much like have a, a prayer tradition, but, uh, that wasn't ever a huge part, I would say of my religious experience that I remember that much growing up. Yeah. I'd say probably similar. I think in Sunday school, um, we were encouraged to pray. And because I was a really um, serious little kid, I was very much about doing it right. Um, so I would. I remember I um, being like in second grade in my bed and like 
praying and picturing God and, you know, talking through all the things that I wished for and wanted for people. And, um, but I remember, um, and I think this comes from my family that prayer and other forms of religious expression were always considered a very private thing. Um, I remember like, so my grandmother was devoutly Christian. Um, she was Episcopalian and she was Presbyterian and she was non-denominational, but, um, you know, she wasn't someone who, even though she was the most practicing of any of us, she, you know, I, I don't think I ever saw her pray. Um, and so I thought it was really weird once I went to a friend's house and right before bed, um, they came out of a very different tradition and we were all holding hands and like the father like said a prayer over everyone. Like that was like really weird to me. I'm like, this is a very, you don't do, that's not what you do. (laughs) 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 But I don't think I ever said rope prayers. Yeah. Now I lay me down. Nothing like that. Nothing like that. Yeah, my tradition, I come from an altar tradition where we have a prayer altar in the, in the sanctuary. And so I remember early on going up to pray with and without my family. Um, you, the serious little kids are the ones that often do that pretty young uh, because we want all of Jesus and all he's got to offer. And so we'll go up and respond to a, a call to the altar. Um, I'm not sure how much of that I understood at that time, but it was definitely part of my tradition and something that I embraced. Um, We always prayed for meals. I always prayed before bed on my own, Um, prayed the Lord's Prayer, probably starting in elementary school for a long time. Um, And that's probably my biggest memories from childhood in terms of that. But I saw prayer all the time. Uh, we had Wednesday night services, and back then we didn't have kids programming, and so you were all around the table in the fellowship hall with all the adults going through prayer requests, and that was every every week I witnessed that. And so it became, it was just part of what you do. You, you have this midweek prayer time that you do. But it also was a very kind of standard thing. You say the request, someone prays for it, that's about all I understood of prayer for a long, long time in my life. Yeah, I, now that you you mentioned that, I remember it because I went to church a lot, you know, more than twice a week. Oh yeah, thing. yeah. Like four every, or five every times other day. makes you more Christian. Um, so there was there were prayer meetings, and I remember mm-hmm. being a kid and have either having to participate or sit quietly somewhere else if there wasn't something for the kids mm-hmm. and. In my charismatic upbringing, there was like prayer was probably the most important thing that tool that you had as a Christian because it that's how God did things in the world, yeah. and um, so it was very important. Um, and it would range from praying for someone who was sick to praying for the city. Maybe there was something going on that the community deemed as not good or something, yeah. and they would pray about that. And do you guys ever? Did you ever experience as children something happening that you felt was caused by prayer or in response to prayer? I'm not sure I can remember that in childhood. Definitely as I got older, okay. for yeah. sure. So, which is really the next question is how, how has prayer changed for you? Um, and I know for me that was really intense like in my college and early 20s. But that could really be at any time for us. So let's kind of suss out, like, how has prayer changed over time? What are maybe some things you remember about how your understanding or your practice changed? 
um, or when you saw results from it that you would call that um, anything come to mind? Well, and I'd like to actually, could we back up a little bit sure. and talk a little bit about you had kind of listed a variety of things and do we really, because, th- okay, so, so mindfulness based training, you know, so right. I started, I started receiving instructions on using mindfulness, um, in my daily life, probably when I was 27, 28. Okay. Um, and so meditation and mindfulness is a big part of it. And now as a Buddhist, that's like my, that's my main practice is meditation. But do you guys see meditation and prayer as one in the same or different or, cause I, I've started to think, think harder about it. So I'm just curious. Um, as evangelicals, I would say no. In fact, in my tradition, even recently in the last seven to ten years, meditation is seen as new agey mm-hmm. and dangerous. Even and, like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, and so even like there was a uh, spiritual formation class at our seminary, which is totally standard in any MDiv program, and the teacher was getting hate mail from students district superintendents, uh, all kinds of different pastors and leaders, because it was introducing meditation and evil practices into the church, which is all that shows is a massive misunderstanding of where these traditions come from and what they are. But definitely not until I was well into my 20s that I would I have used the word meditation to describe what I was doing. It just was not, that was not okay. Like, centering prayer, right? Is that more like meditation or more like prayer? That's more like meditation, but in my evangelical upbringing, there was mm-hmm. there's no centering centering prayer. No. Um, the prayer, and the only time I remember the word meditation coming up is if that was a translation of a psalm, like mm. you know, I meditate on your words every day or something like something very beautiful and poetic that that a psalmist would write, but it wasn't regularly taught. It was typically you pray either um, as a conversation in your head or out loud, and quiet time is just quiet time, and listening to God for guidance or something like that. It wasn't called meditation or anything, but I remember, at least in the communities that I grew up in, there was an explicit um, note that it was never clear your mind, like to always have... An image or God's name or something in your mind because clearing your mind would open you up to all kinds of things being able to infiltrate your mind. Especially satanic attack or the devil coming after you. So this is where the filling your mind with something. You get from like a general evangelical thing to a more conservative charismatic fundamentalist thing where there's all kinds of spirits around you, evil spirits mostly for some reason and they can enter your body or influence you in negative ways. So it's good to have something in your mind always present. Yeah, yeah that's really interesting that you raised that list because I think for me that would be the closest thing that I would have to prayers, like meditation. That's exactly what it is. It's a clearing out of my mind because I am, you know, kind of like a type A person. So I spend so much time thinking, processing. It's really hard for me to quiet my mind and if I don't my mind just goes on overdrive and so for me that's like a really important way for me to gain clarity about like what's important in my life like what should I be spending my time on uh what am I worried about that I shouldn't be what am I not worried about that I should be 
who haven't I reached out to in a while? Who haven't I talked to in a while that I should be talking to? Um, so it's really interesting to like hear that that was clearing of the mind was seen as a, a potential opening for, you know, the demons. Whereas like, I view that as such an important part of like keeping me centered and grounded. So I, I, I have to admit that I wouldn't be able to say this like two or three years ago, but I do see the value or the fear from my experience has been true that when you clear your mind and you're, you're meditating that um, all kinds of, of things that you're, you put, you consciously or subconsciously push out, it could be worries, anxieties, they'll creep up. Obviously part of a, a mindfulness practice or a meditation would be to kind of let those pass away and be non-judgmental about it. But if you don't have that training, you, it can be very judgmental and, you know, given the context that I grew up in, it could be like, these are evil spirits mm-hmm. when it's, yeah, when it's your anxieties and the, the depths of who you are maybe, or these, these shadow sides come up and you start thinking about all kinds of stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah. not to go too far off a field, but, uh, you mentioned that that's how you know yourself is by having these moments of quiet. I came from a tradition that very much didn't value having self-esteem and so it didn't really matter if like not that it didn't matter it actually was not a not really okay to have a positive view of self because that was pride and pride is the door to sin and if you have pride even in talents or gifts that god has given you uh you're you're walking a very fine line and so like there wasn't this self-preservation or self-cultivation um, theme that ran through. Everything is to be sacrificed. Everything is to be emptied and laid down completely at all times. So yeah, both of our traditions actually come from the same branch. So it was the same thing for me. There was no concept of self-care or, or prayer as a tool for that. It was a tool for either liberation and the liberating of the self or liberating of a, an entire community was for the purpose of sacrifice, um, as in giving yourself to God or the other or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it would have been very much against <laughs> my upbringing to do something like that. And I remember yeah. pride being, being brought up a lot, especially for a little kid like me, or even now I'm pretty extroverted. And they would see that as bad sometimes. And they would say, oh, you have like issues with pride. You need to go deal with that. Like you're too focused on yourself. Or if you were, honestly, if you were too talented at something, that's the easy way to control that is to say, well, you're being prideful about your voice or your abilities or whatever. And that clamps down on, on you. Go deal with that. Fix that. Yeah, totally. And I feel like, I don't know. I, I, this feels a little weird, but I'm just going to say it. So I feel like, too, as a, as a Buddhist, I take, um, I take Dan, your point really well. That the, Meditation is tricky, actually. And, um, and the mind is a weird thing. And I think it's, <clears throat> especially now that mindfulness is such a, like, common practice and, like, being Zen and, like, it's becoming really popular. But I think that it's, there isn't necessarily even good instruction on, on how to, to to do meditation and I feel like I've had to be like very intentional because it is you let things come up you let anything come up 
when you're sitting there and you're meditating, but the point is to not believe it. It's like, let it come up, see it non-judgmentally, And yeah, as you say, like, let it die away or, let it pass. Or, or divert your attention back to your breath or back to your point of focus or whatever. But that's, it's a little different. And I feel like, yeah, you have the risk of either like spinning off into your thoughts and like being really judgmental or trying to like, trying to like clear your thoughts and be like, Oh, why is my man's brain so full of thoughts? Like, you know, like they don't go away, you know what I mean? So I don't know. It's tricky. And I hear, I hear people talking about like the downside of meditation, you know, it's so common, but not, but that's, that's subtle. It's a subtle shift. I've actually seen a few articles come up recently about stuff like that, how meditation is bad for you now. And it, I think it's just funny. I'm, there's both sides to just about everything, right? Right. Well, some people, some people experience psychosis. When they do meditation, I mean, that's like the worst case scenario, but it's tricky. Like the, it's a subtle, it's a subtle difference. Yeah. And to both of your points, like it, meditation has come up and like mindfulness has come up and it's like kind of this, uh, important thing. It's all about us. Everybody's talking about it. Uh, but what is new and what is shiny one day becomes tinged and not as beautiful the next day is right. the tide mm-hmm. changes and something new is going to come in and replace it. Right. I think what's interesting is the the experiences that went with this left lesson are things that have kind of gone through those cycles. Labyrinths go back. Uh, I think on here I had it's. Uh, I just want to double check. It's several thousand years, yeah. uh, four thousand years. So we're looking at a, at something that has been found meaningful and useful for this process of meditation for four thousand years. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. And another one is prayer beads. And yep. again, beads are something that we see in all traditions. Mm-hmm. You see them in Buddhism, in uh, Islam. Islam. You recite the names of God against and the beads. Catholicism and Hinduism. Some, in Hinduism, Hinduism. Some Protestants use them or starting to. But prayer beads are something that help us focus, help us move forward in prayer, and help us um, to, to get that brain to go along with it because you've got this tangible thing that's bringing more senses into the practice of prayer. And so it's really interesting that those things um, that have been around for so long, um, maybe that's a testament of time of how they aid meditation and prayer. And then coloring prayer um, may sound new, but it's really, this is meant for people that are uh, more tactile and need that interaction to keep them focused. So like you see advertised in, you know, online, the coloring books, they actually have, they've proven this, have a meditative element to them. When you sit down and color for 20 minutes, it's as if you were concentrating and meditating. And so all of these traditions and these experiences are things that 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 are tried and true. And that keep working. Yeah. So I guess let, let's ask that question. What practices in in you over your life have you given up or taken on that have helped you in prayer? Hey friends, this is Janelle. And like I said, there was a little section of this discussion that got interrupted. And so I'm just going to narrate that for you uh, to keep you in the loop on what's going on. Uh, Dan was saying, we were talking about prayer things that we've given up. And Dan was speaking next, and he said, I think that I have given up. I used to pray every night before bed. 
I would basically play out the entire day in my head and think of all the things I did wrong. I'd ask God for forgiveness, and I'd want to do that because I was a weird kid and I'd think about death all the time. So I would do this every night, and I don't know when I stopped doing that. It became less frequent, and it's something I don't do anymore. And then Janelle said, I had a similar experience with the Lord's Prayer once I became sanctified, which is a specific doctrine from the tradition I came from. We were seen as being sinless. We don't have original sin anymore, and we didn't uh, volitionally sin anymore. So then why do I need to pray for forgiveness anymore if I don't sin? And that was a flaw in the teaching that I received, and I recognize that now. But at the time, I felt like I'm fine, I'm sanctified, and so I transitioned away from the practice of saying the Lord's Prayer every night. And Dan said, so I wasn't the only one. And we kind of all agreed that no, he wasn't. Most of us had a tradition of praying in the evenings that went away over time. Uh, And Liz also agreed that she did that as well. Then Leah stepped in and said, so you've talked about praying for yourselves. What about praying for your community? Even though you moved past these traditions, would you still not feel the need to pray for others? And I, Janelle, said, definitely. I always kept a list of people that I would go through. But, But that was just part of my prescribed quiet time where we would read through the Bible and pray for the needs of others. There were many different methods we were taught for how to do this well over time. Basically, I outgrew that and no longer do it in the same way. So now I go to a church that has the traditions of prayers of the people, and that's a time when we can submit prayer requests after the sermon, and then we read those aloud to the congregation, and the congregation lifts them up to God. And that, I find, is so redemptive. It's such a beautiful practice because it requires vulnerability, And it also cultivates empathy and helps us to realize that I'm not in this alone, and I'm not the only one struggling. Also, if I'm feeling strong right now, it's my job to care for and carry these requests on behalf of those that don't have the strength right now. And if I'm not strong right now, I know that other people will do that for me. Dan came in and said that he would use the time that he was at church to pray for other people because he was there all the time with his family, and that's how he dealt with lifting up requests inside the community and for other people in his life. Then Liz asked um, that we had learned ways to pray, but that they're not helpful anymore. What about that? And Janelle said, for me, they were very formulaic, and this led to focusing on the practice, not the purpose. Liz followed that up with, what's the purpose? And Janelle answered, ultimately, to cultivate self-awareness and self-editing, we all have to work on and also having compassion for my brothers and sisters. I think that many, many years, that second piece was a checklist. Pages and pages of requests to check off. Keeping track of how often I prayed for them became the goal. Does God honor that? Absolutely. Do I dislike someone who does that well? Absolutely not. Please keep praying. But that's not necessarily the purpose of prayer. Prayer needs to cultivate the relationship with God and the communication that happens as a result of that purpose. I don't think I understood that. And I'm not sure that kids are ready to understand that yet. But definitely for me, it was more of a mathematical thing. For me, I'll quote a pastor that I, that I like. Um, I would consider him a friend. He says that the primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what we want God to do, but to be properly formed. Within the Christian tradition, formation, 
um, has a certain look and feel, right? It's to be like Christ, to be like Jesus. Um, and I found that very helpful um, today. And I think what's helped in, in my prayer life, um, again, I still, something's never changed. I'm still not good at praying, whatever that means. Um, but when I do, I do so for the purpose of um, being able to do that self-care so I can love others as myself, right? Because if you don't have love for yourself or have a certain level of self-esteem, you can't really love other people. But once that's covered, then your prayer can kind of shift toward, um, you know, thinking about ways, kind of a self-reflection of how you can better serve other people or can be a, a just a, a time of quiet, more of the mindfulness route. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah, no. So, so yeah, for a long time, I've been on board with meditation. So it's like, yeah, know your mind, be able to, like, train your, like, see your mind, and then be able to train your reaction to not be reactive as to what's going on in your mind, but make different choices. Like, my mind's doing this, but I'm going to do this because I care about doing this. And this is more skillful. That I've been on board with for a long time, and that's been an excellent practice, um, overcoming anxiety and all of these things. But yeah, just recently, I've been struggling with, you know, how do I um, have more capacity in my heart to care for other people? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it's been interesting, because then what was recommended to me is to start doing what's called meta. M-E-T-T-A, which is in Buddhism, and it's it's really similar to what you guys are talking about. And it's funny how, um, so basically you say, you know, may I be happy, may I find peace, may I find understanding, may I find steadiness, may I think of other people before myself. And you offer those out, and I mean, I'm an atheist, so I'm like, no one's hearing this but me, you know what I mean? And then you go and you, you bring up specific people in your mind, and you say... May Janelle find happiness, may Dan find peace, may Leah find steadiness and understanding, or whatever. I mean, you pick it, you know, whatever you want for yourself, give it to yourself, but then start giving it to other people in your mind, and then you extend it, may everyone in Denver, may everyone in the world find these things. Or, like, if you experience something happy or joyful in your life in the moment, you can start to share that with other people. I hope everyone around this podcast is experiencing this great sense of relief and joy that I'm feeling right now. And um, it's, it's interesting that that is transformative. And, but yet, it's sometimes really hard for me to do that, mm-hmm. to sit there and to honestly like, bring people into my mind and heart and say, I wish you happiness. May you find you know, wisdom. That's really hard. Sometimes I can't do it. And tell yeah. me more about that. Like, what, what's hard about that? It takes, I don't know. Like, um, it's, giving it to yourself, I think, is a very good practice because it's like Dan was saying, like, Fill your own cup, care for yourself, and then you can care for other people. But maybe your own oxygen mask first. Yes, take the log (laughs) out of your own eye. You know, in case, yes, all of these things. I mean, it's the traditions go on and on about that, you know. But maybe because when I do it, like, I honestly, like, if if I'm concentrating on it, like, I honestly, like, see and feel the the person. Ah, sure. So it's like I say, may Janelle have happiness, and all of a sudden, like I really do think about like Janelle as a whole person, and that's like a big deal. And and the practices, honestly, that you start with people who are easy to love, 
may the cats find happiness, may the cats, <laughs> you know, and then you go to people who you love and then you go to people who are kind of neutral and then you go, you're ideally, you try sure. to imagine generosity for people that you're struggling with that you don't like. Yeah. And that's very hard to call to mind someone who you have very mixed emotions about and say, in spite of all that, I wish you happiness. Absolutely. You know, and, and wisdom and the different, you know, discernment and all these things. I mean, but it, when I do it, it's, it's very transformational. So that's really interesting because mm-hmm. as a, as an atheist, I was like, well, what's the point of this? Yeah. So, and I'm sorry to yammer on and on, but if I can say the second piece that's been really interesting is, um, I've been learning more about 12 step and I've come to a place in some things in my life where I honestly didn't know what to do anymore. Like I run out of ideas. I don't know what, what the, what the F to do. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. Like I've run, come to the end of the road. I've fallen flat on my face. And it was also recommended by another Buddhist to me, like, say a prayer. Now's your time. <laughs> like, and this idea of like, you give it up yeah. to the universe and somehow, and the same thing with meta. It's like, there's no one answering the prayer, but somehow by saying the prayer or offering up the issue, somehow something changes but you're not in control of what or how. And that's very interesting and mystical and weird. And it exists in Buddhism. And very quantum. I mean, we're finding that there is some science behind some of this and that, that that offering up and letting go pushes that out into, into the world that we live in. Right. And there may be things that are actually happening. Right. Like we may have free will. We may not have free will, but at least in my worldview, it's like, as soon as you make that choice, like something can change mm-hmm. if it's yourself and now you're interacting with the world a little bit differently. Or if honestly there's some physical, metaphysical, spiritual thing that takes place. Right. Like it's interesting. Yeah. I, the reason I wanted to say something yeah, so I'm much sorry, is because yeah. no, no, it's me yeah. too. Like everything you said, uh, me too. And then what makes it hard for me is there's a constant skeptic and semi believer. Yeah. Um, combat going on in my head where I'm like I don't believe in a God that intervenes Mm. that's that's the kind of Christian that I am so God works through a collaborative cooperative effort with all of everything that is so if God's going to do something in the world it's probably through me so I have that in mind but then there are times where I've hit the end of my rope to say or whatever and yeah, I hit a wall and I'm like, I, I, I want to pray for my family that's in another country or something like that. And I can't be there. So what am I doing when I'm praying? Like what, what purpose does it serve? Um, but sometimes I find myself doing it anyway, for whatever reason. I'm, and I'm very, I try to be very aware of myself. It could be just because how I'm conditioned to think. Or it could be a, a, of a place of, of real concern and compassion. Or it could be that a, a little part of me does believe that somehow, you know, my little pebble of a prayer will drop in this pond and maybe just a little ripple might, you know, push the little leaf that is my relative just a little bit. I don't know, right? And, and yeah, I don't talk about this at all, so it's really weird. <laughs> Isn't it? I, I, yeah. I hear that. And that goes back to the idea of, you know, how interconnected are we, you know, and, and does God or whatever, karma or whatever, how, you know, how much do what we do affect other people and how culpable are we are? I mean, that's a whole other 
pod, <laughs> podcast topic, <laughs> connectedness. I do think that uh, meta is the loving kindness, right? So I do encourage our listeners, whether you find yourself in a Christian tradition or any other kind of tradition, to look up a loving kindness guided meditation, and it's really helpful. Um, I, I like that step from you know, somebody you love to the neutral to then somebody who maybe not so much. And it's so hard. Starting with self. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, oh, right. May I be happy. Oh, great. I would like that. You know? And we've mentioned centering prayer a couple of times. And and the heart of centering prayer is um, to enter a place basically of the emptiness that Dana and I were terrified of. And letting everything float over. The, the uh, metaphor that I've heard used is that you let yourself sink to the bottom of a river and sit on the bottom, and then everything that comes in your head, you just let float down the river over you and try not to hold on to it or capture it or keep it. And often you do this for a minimum of 20 minutes. Um, and you do have a word that you keep in mind that is something that if you start to float down the river, um, you come back to this phrase to help you refocus and then return to the emptiness. It's hard. Um, it is very hard to measure success. But it I, people that I know that have done it and do it regularly say that their world is much more focused and they're more effective and purposeful in what they do. Um, and you can, uh, Richard Rohr is a name that's pretty well known. He has a lot of stuff on centering prayer and has other authors that he's connected to that also write about this. So that's one place you can learn about that. Yeah. And if centering prayer is somehow too Christian for you, it's very similar to Sazen in the Zen tradition. Um, I learned centering prayer through Father Thomas Keating. Um, he actually lives in in Snowmass, in Aspen. He's up there. He is like 90-something years wow, old. Awesome. And there's a YouTube video somewhere of him talking about him. He's this happy little old guy that tells you about how great it is to just sit there and sit. Can <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we talk a little bit about mantra praying? praying? Sure. Because that's you touched on it, and you know it's obviously a tradition in a lot of religions, this idea of you say the same prayer over and over again. Um, in the Christian tradition, there's what the, the Pilgrim's Journey, where the guy wanders around Europe and he says, um, "May Jesus Christ have mercy on me, a sinner," mm-hmm. over and over and over so again. Jesus and then, the Jesus prayer. Yeah. And then something changes. I don't have. I have a little experience with mantra praying, but have you guys done that? And what's been your experience? Or like when centering prayer, when you say the word. Well, we don't say it over and over, though, that way. Okay. It's more of just a callback yeah. to keep you... Like, if you start to wander, it brings yeah. you back. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe... It, they call it a sacred word or something. Mm-hmm. It's something that you can return to other than your breath. Okay. Um, just a word that just kind of brings you back to the center. Um, the closest thing that I've done to something like a mantra is... Um, let's see if I can remember it. Be still and know that I am God is a passage in the Bible. Then you chop off a word as you repeat it. So it goes something like this. It's be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. 
And then you kind of do that over and over. And that's probably been the more effective, not effective, I don't even know what that means, but <laughs> one that I like yeah. just because it ends in B. Because <laughs> it, I find myself like wanting to pray out of some kind of religious, uh, I don't know. Responsibility. Yeah, or... responsibility. But then as I'm praying, like I've already revealed, I become a skeptic in the middle of my prayer and ending at just being actually ties the skeptic and the believer within me. And I find it very helpful. And I've actually um, combined this with a bead. So uh, for each word, I'll, I'll do a bead. Cool. That's really awesome. So here's a question for Leah. So does any of this make any sense at all to someone who's, or is it any of this helpful or is any of this, how does this come across? Does yeah. Someone, as an atheist without a, without a tradition. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, Number one, it's like super interesting uh, things that I've never really thought of before. Like I've never really thought about being quiet as inviting the potential for like danger and like evil to enter your mind. Like, that's just fascinating. Um, so I always just love to hear about people's experiences and understand the, the vast diversity of experiences that we've all had. I think in terms of like learning more about prayer, I mean, totally like we, I am an atheist because I live in the absence of belief that there is a God. Am I sure that there's no God? Absolutely not. I've got no idea. I just, I live in the absence of belief. But I think, uh, you know, everyone has spoken a little bit in some ways about putting ideas out into the universe. And we don't exactly know how they come back and how they get fulfilled. But there is energy out there. Even if it's, even if it's that you've repeated something in your own mind and you believe in it a little bit more today than you did yesterday, that could inspire real action. And so because we don't know how the universe functions, I, I don't think it's all for naught. And I think, you know, anytime that you're willing to let others into your life and think about them in a compassionate way and wish them the best, even if you do have mixed feelings for them, I think that's a really beautiful thing. Cool. And there's, and there's a lot of um, neuroscience research being done on what, what happens in the brain, at least, when people pray, when people meditate. And um, I think what I've seen, the, the conclusion of some of the research is that at the very least, it helps the individual. Yeah. Right. You have reduced levels of anxiety, et cetera. And how can and that I think, fail to benefit the exactly, world? Exactly. It's yeah. like, yeah. We, we definitely need a little more of contemplation and <laughs> chilling out. <laughs> well, we have actually used up our time already, believe wow. it or not. So... We will work on working prayer into the podcast again sometime. I think this is an, an endless conversation. And as you change characters around the mic, the conversation is going to completely change. So we will revisit this. And if uh, any of you out there have specific questions or traditions that you would like us to explore, please email us and let us know. And we'll look into that. And when you see the curriculum up uh, with the podcast, We'll have the activities there with it so that you can experience those yourself. So tonight, I just want to say thanks to my friends and encourage you to, in the next, you know, 24 to 48 hours, why don't you go find 20 minutes to do something, prayer, meditative, thoughtful, relaxing, and or do a labyrinth walk, um, and just participate in this. See what it's like and let us yeah. know. Send us back what happens. What did you experience? 
Was this something new to you? Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Please continue to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Brew Theology or on Twitter at Brew underscore Theology. And we will see you next time. Thanks for joining us.